The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You're listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number 83. Today, we're continuing with our series of interviews with Ronnie Harima, a good friend of mine. This is uh, number two out of three. It was an accidental uh, three-part series, but uh, the conversation was so good, we had to keep recording. So today in this episode, we get a little bit further into Ronnie's journey, into some of his questions and doubts, and I dare say some conclusions about spirituality and God or the lack thereof. And so in full disclosure and fair warning, some of the things that Ronnie shares can be a little hard to hear for those of us who grew up in church. And I believe that all truth stands up to great conversation, and this conversation will challenge you and give you a lot of great things to think about. So I'm excited for you to hear this episode and loving the conversation that Ronnie and I are having. Pick back right up where we left off. Right. So uh, here we are, the next episode with Ronnie Harima. Um, for those of you who have not listened to last week's episode, you're going to want to do that because we are continuing a discussion that uh, we just finished. We've reloaded our bourbon and taken a bathroom break. Yes. And um, here too. So la- last episode, we kind of ended on the idea of, if I could summarize it, kind of making your faith your own or making your beliefs your own um and as just a i don't know a a philosophical or intentional overview for Mm -hmm. what new age christianity is meant to be or is intended to be it is absolutely a place where it is not about delivering this new set of beliefs or this new set of dogmas Right. It is about understanding something very deeply personal mm-hmm. in that the point of being human is to fully understand who you are. The I am. Yeah. I am Austin. I am Ronnie. Yeah. And I think I, I envisioned this, all these Bible studies I used to go to mm. in college and stuff where you'd sit at, I had a, a mentor of mine, I, we'd go to his house and we'd sit on their couch with five or six other college students and we'd have these ideas come out and challenge us. Mm-hmm. And I really started challenging my faith in that season yeah. and realizing that true people who like you and I, yeah. who go out there and challenge people's faith, mm-hmm. um, I can promise you at this point, yeah. neither of us have an agenda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, so the to go, oh, what's the intention of New Age Christianity? What is the it is not to hand deliver this a new set of dogmas just to introduce you to a whole new version of the same problem. Yeah. It is a hundred percent about realizing that whatever it is that you believe, whatever it is that you ascribe to, 
if it makes sense to you, if it works for you, it will hold up to reality. an infinite amount of these conversations and mm-hmm. the reality of experience. Yeah. And so when people are hearing this and they hear, you know, early last episode, we compared Jesus to Krishna, to Krishna or, Hermes. or, you know, whatever, like, and, and if you're one of those people listening to the, and that kind of takes your breath away, like this, like, <gasps> yeah, right. Realize that, that that is you yeah. and your perception of like, do you think that at any point we could so offend Jesus that he would come and strike us dead. Yeah. Like historically people have believed that, right? I'm I've one of my favorite series on Netflix is um Last Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Right? And Last Kingdom it's it's set in the 8 or 900s um before the kingdom of England was uh, the kingdom of England it was mm. multiple, you know, the mm. United Kingdom. Yeah. Historically it was multiple yep. kingdoms, right? You had the um East Anglia and you had mm-hmm. Wessex and all that stuff. And there's a huge religious overtone. It's not even an undertone. Yeah. It's an overtone for the whole thing that the king believes right. it's God's plan for a united kingdom and everything like that. And there is multiple episodes where a priest or a king or somebody will like, well, if I'm wrong, then God strike me dead. Yeah. And there's this idea that there is a personified... Supervising being power yep. that is just waiting to be offended right <laughs> and control you by the way because yep. if you offend him too much then he's just going to kill you what's difficult with that too is you can't you you have to work really hard to paint that to a, to, to to erase that out of scripture right. so god goes to moses and fiery bush says i want you to go set my people free and i want the people to meet me so they can worship me in the in the wilderness and here's how important me getting worship done to me is. I'll kill all the firstborn in Egypt. I'll kill all the cattle. I will send frogs. I will send locusts. I will turn your rivers to blood. And if you just ask them the question, why, so my people can worship me. If you just go through it and look at what was done to it, and you just you stop and ask real questions about that text, right. um, and then you go, oh, Pharaoh. So you even get Christians debating, is Pharaoh, was Pharaoh good? Was Pharaoh bad? Is he in heaven? Is he in hell? He didn't have a chance. It said God hardened his heart yeah. so he wouldn't relent. And, a little, and then another part says that God fashioned Pharaoh. So, okay. So now you stop and go, <laughs> how would you know right now, Austin Fletcher or anyone listening, how do you know right now God isn't hardening your heart? God isn't hardening your heart. Right. How do you know that you really have free will in that one? Did Pharaoh have free will? To be honest, that's what I told my brother. Oh, yeah. The He's Calvin. a five-point Calvinist. He's okay. four-and-a-half-point Calvinist. Right. And uh, and he was like, I don't know what to do with it. And I was like, well, you know, apparently God wants me this way. Right. Because <laughs> you could just, that whole, like, the sovereignty right. concept of, like, the, the, all con- the control freak in this guy. Right. Is what I remember. So if you want to go through even and go, man, there's so many contradictions that you'd go, all right, so Adam and Eve are said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you're going to read it literally, how did they know they were doing something wrong? Because it was the moment they ate it that their eyes were opened and they knew what good and evil was. So how could you judge them for performing a wrong action if they hadn't yet eaten of it to know what was right and wrong? Think about it. Right. How could they have known it was wrong to eat from it? They hadn't eaten from it yet. So it's a circular argument. 
Right. Which How did they have consciousness? How did they know it was wrong to disobey? Because it says the moment they ate of it, their eyes were open and they knew good and evil. Okay? Right. So again, you, sh- you can't judge them for eating of it because the before they took the bite, they didn't know it was right and wrong. How do you judge somebody before they know what's right and wrong? If the tree they ate from is what gave them right, right. and wrongness. Which, philosophically, those, right. who, those who listen to this podcast right. and have listened, sat under, quote-unquote, my yeah. teachings for all these years, I do talk about how when God gave them the commandment, right. inside of the commandment was the knowledge of good and evil, but they yeah. needed to experience it in order to know it. Right. Versus so, right. having the knowledge of it. And vers- now you get into consciousness versus you well, know, spirit. Well, you also right. get into, which I think those conversations are great, but the moment you get into those conversations, you have to move away from literalism. Mm-hmm. So the only way to really Absolutely. play with the text and for the text to become something beneficial is to move away from literalism and dogma and to turn it into symbolic stories, metaphoric stories that can have certain applications to different ways you can understand yourself and others. I'm completely fine. That's where people go, oh, my God, like, are you just are you just so angry at, at God and all this? No, like I, for one, am anti the position religion has attained in society. It's reached a point where you put your hand and you swear on the Bible in court. The Ten Commandments are written in our courtrooms. This book has played such a lawful authoritarian dictionary type role in our life. Mm-hmm. It's not just a metaphoric, artistic, beautiful way to understand life, to talk about life, to read, for example, to read the Odyssey or to read Romeo and Juliet or to read Odysseus, to read Greek mythology. All of those stories are great because you can read them and pull meaning from them. Let's talk about the tortoise and the hare. You can pull just as much meaning from the tortoise and the hare and it's not biblical, yeah, but, it has, song, yeah. but it has beautiful, beautiful, like, watch the beauty and the beast. The prince is encountered by a witch in disguise. Do you remember? She comes and right. she's got a long nose and she asks him for money and he turns her down. And then all of a sudden she turns into this beautiful goddess and his heart was checked in that moment. Even when I say it, it gives me goosebumps. There's this, there's these beautiful moments you can pull out of fiction but to say that the beauty and the beast actually occurred would be to now take the story out of its context and to strip it from any meaning you could pull from it. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of Christians not knowing better, the Bible has only always been a literal book, right. a historical book, a heavenly dictionary encyclopedia by which B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, mm-hmm. they take it black and white. And so you take that book black and white and what you will look like is what most of Islam or the or the zealots of Islam look like today. Or the Crusades. I just listened yeah. to an interview with a guy who is saying that if a woman marries a man and she's not Islam, Muslim, and she marries a man and he deconverts, she's liable for murder. And in a, in a uh, what do you call it, an order is put out for her murder because she, she deconverted uh, him. So, like, according to Sharia law, anybody that would deconvert a Muslim is now liable of murder because they are taking someone into immorality. So if you go, well, we look at that and go, that's barbaric. Right. But the only way Christianity kind of survives today is because we moved away from the barbarism that it was in the 17 and 1800s. Right. We have a New Testament. Unfortunately, the Koran right now doesn't have a New Testament. Mm. Who's to say one day it couldn't? Who's to say one day they couldn't get another version? But how do we know as Christians 
that Joseph Smith, who came along in New York and found the golden tablets and met with the angel Gabriel, how do we know he wasn't Apostle Paul number two? How do we really know he wasn't version number three? Right. And that you should have three or four wives and you should plant your seed and you should create 12 to 20 children. And when you die, you get a solar system and you get to seed that solar system and begin a race of God, just like God began here. Who are you to argue with that? How do you know? Right. The Bible doesn't tell you anywhere in there, hey, anyone to come who gets revelation, it says the spirit will come and lead you into all truth. So, Well, the Bible clearly says. Really? Like, mm-hmm. name one thing the Bible clearly says. Right. Then, if you can, which there are certain things. Right. Then go study how you got the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then come back and tell me that the right. Bible clearly says. Study a little bit of translation. Um, three books I recommend to a lot of people. The Grammar of God by Avia Kushner. She's a rabbi girl. Um, the Grammar of God. What's the other one? I'll stick with that one for a minute. One of her chapters is about the word fear in Hebrew. Right. And she talks about until the year 212 that there was only consonants in the text. There was no vowels. So different rabbis and different people reading the text would read it and could fluctuate their own meaning and understanding. And that was part of Torah, that Torah invited you to read a word and to put your own vowels in so that you could translate different meanings for yourself. Right. So it really would become very kind of individualized. It would be an art form that you kind of like drawing a Torah card or kind of like casting right. lots. Tarot you're, card. Tarot card. You're Torah kind card. Of, there you tarot go. Tarot card. <laughs> right. Tarot, Torah, right? A lot of similarities. But um, she talked about the word fear and how the word fear and the word see have the same consonants. But depending on the one vowel you switch, it either is the word to see or to fear. So she gave an example and said, um, blessed are those who fear the Lord. Right. But if you switch it and go, that verse could have said, blessed are those who see the Lord. Do you see the difference in the imagination of the reader? Mm-hmm. Blessed are those who fear God. Blessed are those who see God. One's intriguing. One is opening. One's inviting. Mm-hmm. One is authoritative. One is guilt-based, is shame-based, is suppression-based. So you even just kind of go through and go, who were the ones who decided the word should be fear or see? Where did that come from? Right. So when it finally got printed, so she talks about there was a rabbi in the year 212 that said, the year 212 is when is the year that God died because it's right. the year we took interpretation out of the Bible. The moment we combined it together, and uh, this sentence means this. She even, in, in chapter one, I think she goes through, she wrote her book because she spent her whole life as a Jew and then in college started taking Christian courses and she had never read the Christian Bible until she was in college. So she's reading it with fresh eyes. Well, she said, the the in Hebrew Bereshit bara Elohim means in the beginning God created. That's what the King James says. But she goes through and shows how all of those words like Bereshit doesn't necessarily mean. She said in the beginning. It wasn't a past tense proclamation. It the word is best described as whenever. You have a mosquito on you. Hmm. So instead of saying in the beginning, you could say whenever. And then God was. And the King James Bible capitalized as capital G-O-D, but it was the word Elohim. Well, El was Egyptian for God. Right. Right? O, Elo, was male God. Eloah is female God. 
and the word him is plural. So Abram, his name was changed to Abrahim. Right. Jerusalem is Yerushalayim. It's a plural word. Elohim, Elohim is a plural word. So it doesn't just mean God singular. So even in the King James Bible, in the beginning, God singular. That's a wrong interpretation of the word God. Right. Elo was a choice of vowels. So she talks about a long string of rabbis who used to say Elohim was the word for God, which means Elo male God, Eloah female God, Him plural God. So in the beginning, the gods and goddesses. Right. So now if you read it and instead of saying in the beginning, you say whenever. Right. She says whenever the gods and goddesses, what's the rest of it? Bereshit bara Elohim. Bara is to create. Ba is like, um, you know, Abba, Father. Ra was the word for the sun god of Egypt, Ra. Right. To create, Ra is the percussive sound of creation, like radiation, you know. That's why the sun god was Ra. So right. Ba-Ra, the father of creation. So Ba-Ra meant to create, but she again shows the word and she says, it wasn't created, past tense. It was more whenever the gods and goddesses begin to create. So now if you take the poem and go Genesis 1-1, imagine if every Christian read that and it wasn't capital G-O-D, it said gods and goddesses. Right. And imagine if the first line of the Bible since you were five years old was, whenever the gods and goddesses begin to create. Right. It would set an entirely different premise for how you looked at creation it would, it would make god very present tense present tense yes it would be a story about creation itself about the ongoing i heard a guy once say create the the garden of eden didn't happen the garden of eden happens mm-hmm. it's a story to explain the comings and goings the endings and the beginnings the the waking up and the going to sleep it's the ever-present cycle of life it's a story to make you wrestle with truth, with this lies. Is, with this cycle is also continued when Abraham yep. is turned into Israel. Yep. Right. Yes. Isis, Ra, Isis, Ra, and El. And El. Yep. The male and female god. The male and and they represented the sun, the earth, and the moon. They were the yeah. triune god of Egypt. Right. And what's so interesting to me is I love that story because it says Jacob wrestled with the angel all night so it's really interesting if you watch the exact play and maybe you've seen this too but like it says they wrestled all night and when the angel saw that he couldn't overcome him he Mm -hmm. touched his hip so it's like you almost have to stop right there and go okay you were wrestling all night and when you discovered you couldn't overcome him so if they were physically wrestling all night right and i realized dang i can't beat you physically I guess the conclusion I'll come to is I'll touch your hip. You think he hadn't touched his hip all night long if they were wrestling? No, yeah, no, yeah. I'll touch your hip, and it's like this magical, eternal limp. Right. Like so, wait, you so I, beat him, I wasn't power. I wasn't being <laughs> magical all night, and suddenly at dawn I realize oh, I'm going to use some magic now and touch your hip. It says they wrestled all night, and when the angel saw that he couldn't overcome him, he touched his hip and made him limp. And then the angel went to leave, and then Jacob says, hey, you can't leave until you bless me. <laughs> it's like he just broke his hip or whatever. <laughs> hey, man, you just hurt me. Bless me. And the angel says, and then he says to the angel, what's your name? And the angel says, why do you ask my name? But I will tell you, your name was Jacob, 
but it is now Israel, for you have wrestled with God and man, and you have overcome. So now you go, was that really a battle of physical might? Or was it a battle of wits? Mm-hmm. Was this was Jacob and the angel were they arguing all night? Right. Were they having a debate? Were they having a discussion? But it brings into the question: Moses, God says, "Oh, you guys go to the promise land. I'm not going to go with you." And Moses goes, "Far be it. If we leave without you, what are you going to do? Take us out here so we can die? We're not going if you don't go." And then it says, "God relented," and God goes, "Okay, I'll go with you." So then you go, Moses changes God's mind. Moses argues. Moses was defiant. God makes a decree. And if people to this day go, who are you to challenge God? Who was Moses to challenge God? Right. It's like, come on. So if you see the struggle, who was Jacob to fight with God? Who was David? God goes, hey, I put Saul to sleep. He's in your hands. You can kill him. I mean, the Bible's filled with people who challenge God and and lose. And And lose. And people who challenge with God and win. But the root cause, I've noticed, look at Daniel, look at Hosea, look at all of them. I've noticed one of the one things they had in common was a form of defiance. There was some point in there where they either trusted God enough to go to sleep and be like, like, no, fuck that. I don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. They either had something in them that either trusted God enough that I'm not going to get smacked with hellfire because I just opposed God. So either God was real enough or they understood a more equality. Like if I have what it takes or they understood maybe I'm being tested enough mm-hmm. that maybe this is a test. When you go, hey, look, I put Paul, I put Paul to sl- uh, asleep. He's been trying to kill you. I've delivered him into your hand. You can have him. And then you saw that David said, far be it from me to lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. So then David goes, no, I won't do it. He's anointed. God says do this. God was the one who said to do it. So where does David get the gall to argue and defy God? And I just don't understand to this day. Well, it was a test. A test. Any of these people. But like, how would you know in that moment? So when Jesus goes to the disciples and they say, hey, it's the Sabbath. Uh, You guys shouldn't be picking grain on the Sabbath. And his answer was, okay, well, if your donkey falls into the ditch on the Sabbath, are you going to help it out or are you going to wait till the next day? Right. He pulls out a story which has no backing. You can't find his example in the Old Testament. Right. So that's why I love people to this day going, oh, the Holy Spirit will only ever confirm to you what's in the Bible. That wasn't true for Jesus. That wasn't yeah, true he was for Jesus. Right. That- he, he gets to pull up, but right. But then what room do we ever have to navigate our reality? We don't. We for don't. Most, for most people don't. Like, so, you, oh, well, that was Paul. Well, that was Jesus. Well, that was Abraham. Right. That was Jacob. Right. That was David. All of these people that apparently you aren't good enough to be like. Right. And that's to which the initial, to me in my yeah. in my experience, the initial cry of like, that's bullshit. Right. Is when people start to realize, wait a minute. It's one thing, like Jesus is one thing. But, well, I won't be like Paul. I won't be like Jacob. I could never be like Abraham. I could never be like David. Then you do have a list of idols that serve as your glass ceiling at that point. Right. And then you just need to own the fact that you are very much stuck in religion and idolatry. Yeah. If you can't ever be your own example of a biblical character. Yes. Yes, and so this is where it would bring a lot of people to go, where does your faith come from? 
does it come from your experience? Mm-hmm. You have eyes, you have ears, you have a mind, you have feelings, you have a life of your own. Did it come from, uh, do you know the story? I was telling a friend this the other day because I have kids. So I would also, I guess, add in here a, a quick break. And that is a lot of this became real when I had my kids. And I have to sit and look in the mirror and go, what am I going to tell them? Mm-hmm. How am I going to offer up reality to them? To what degrees can I offer things that are true or in what ways do I not want to muddy the water? How do I know? How do I really know if my son says to me, hey, dad, where did humans come from? Am I going to give him a confident proclamation and I hope he trusts me? Or am I going to give him an honest answer and say, you know what, buddy? Humans have been asking that for thousands of years. Right. To this day, we don't emphatically know. We have a lot of guesses. We have a lot of good ideas. Some people seem more confident in their ideas than others. <laughs> We've built entire traditions around that question. But as your dad, I say, I have no idea. I ask the same question. So maybe I can join my son in his humanity and I can actually be his friend. And I, instead of being his authoritative teacher that I need to build his faith, right. I don't ever... This is an example I give people. You remember the story of the boy who woke up and heard God saying to him in the Bible what was his name, calling out his name, and he went to Elijah. Samuel. Yeah. Or he went to Samuel and said, Samuel, were you calling my name? No, Samuel was. It was Samuel? Samuel. Who was, was the prophet? Was um, it Elijah or Elisha? Or? No, it was. It was. Um, How dare you not know Austin right? Fletcher? Samuel. You God. guys know what we're Eli. talking about. Eli. Eli. He goes to him and says, were you calling my name? And, the, and he says, no, it wasn't me. So he goes back to bed. Again, he wakes up hearing a name calling him. He goes, were you calling my name? He goes, oh, no, it wasn't me, but that must have been God. God must be calling your name. Next time you hear it, say, here I am, Lord. I'm listening. So I've given this example to people. So when people go, oh, my God, are you just so, are you completely closed off to like, what if your kid has an encounter like that? If my son has an encounter like that, I will openly talk about it. I would love to talk about it. But the one thing I won't do, I will not go to my son and go, hey, Jack, 4,000 years ago, a boy once heard a tapping on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. The unseen realm tapped on his shoulder. And he looked around and said, what is that? It it whispered in his ear. And he was like, it woke me up in the night. Here's the deal, boy. If you believe that story, and if you trust it enough, you you yourself will have stories like that come true for you. (laughs) I will not lead my son with an experience that isn't his convincing him of a proof or reality that I don't know for certain is true or not, that was that boy's, and that was 4,000 years ago. I've had people come to me and say they were abducted by aliens. I had a friend the other day that told me in the Cadillac area he was fishing, and this orb came down over the lake, and it was hovering six feet, and he describes it to me in such detail that it sounds like a UFO. Now, when you say to me, do I think my friend is a liar? No. But do I think my friend's story is proof that there's aliens? I don't know what he saw. Could it have been a projection? Could he have been drunk? Could he have been (laughs) seeing things? You start to add up and go, how many things could we rightfully assume that maybe it was before we just jump to, my friend John is proof there's aliens, therefore I believe in aliens. I'm going to start an alien society and get a tax break for it. I'm going to preach alien proof to people. (laughs) To what degree am I going to get alien converts and ask people to give money to the church of alien proof? Oh, my gosh. To what degree am I going to live my life based on his experience? None. 
I am not going to base my life based on his economy. So, so to take a little bit of a left turn, uh-huh. what if that was your experience? If it was my experience, my first instinct would be to describe it knowing the language and the ideas I have. Where I am now is I am learning over and over and over again that the most honest thing to say is until I know more, I don't know what happened. This is my description. Was it an angel? Was it God? Was it an alien? Was it my imagination? Maybe I also think it's smart to go, what is the most plausible explanation? What's the most plausible explanation for somebody who wakes up from a dream and goes, oh my God, my dream was so real. Right? Right. You feel me? Mm -hmm. Um, I've had a lot of people who do that. They wake up from a dream. But then I go, you know what, though? Of the number of dreams you've had in your life, do you know the number of dreams you have you don't remember? Right. So if we're going to base our life, do I think people should base their life off the sincerity of their dreams? I do not. Is that to say that I believe a dream can't speak truth? Not at all. Is it to say I don't think a dream can be really interesting and really ironic or what a coincidence? You ever have that where you have a dream about somebody that you haven't thought about in years and then the next day that person Facebook messages you or something mm-hmm. like that? Right. I've had experiences like that. Those kinds of experiences I would call coincidences highly raise my susceptibility to go, oh my Lord, maybe there is emphatically the spirit realm. Oh my gosh, maybe that was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. But then what happens is I'm left with my own deduction. I'm left with trying to figure out what it meant. I'm going back in my memory. I'm going into my history. And I am I come up with my own logical explanation. I don't just move forward with, a, with an entirely spiritual idea. Right. So I think what's so tough is do I think things, do I carry my life as if I walk around pointing at every believer saying, I don't believe there is a God called Yahweh or there is a supernatural realm? The truth is I don't, and I've learned to become comfortable with that. I don't believe there is a fifth dimension or a spiritual realm, or I think there's angels and demons, or I think there is an enemy called Satan that's out to get me every day, or there is a God named Yahweh who's writing down my thoughts every moment. (laughs) I don't engage my world as if that were all true. Do I live my life as if it's my job to go convince everybody that that's not true? No. But when I encounter people that come to me saying, oh, no, this is my faith and this is what I believe, I definitely have questions for them. And if they have the freedom of speech to tell me about their faith, I have the freedom of speech to go, I don't really believe that. And until you can give me better reason to believe it, I don't think I should. I believe people win the lotto, but (laughs) I do not believe I should live my life based on hoping I win the lotto. That would, be a, that would be an unhealthy way to live my life, and most listeners right now would agree with me. So am I saying the lotto doesn't work for someone? No. <laughs> no, no, no. It works for someone. Right. But it's not a healthy way to live my life, if that makes sense. When I look at spirituality, it's made me ask very hard questions about what would I like to be true about life? What do I hope is true? What sounds really nice? What do I know is true? It's made me really strip away a lot of my like fairy tale thinking and go, maybe Prophet Elijah climbed onto a fairy, a fiery chariot and flew away. Based on the world I've lived in, I have never seen anything close to that, except for in Marvel movies. Right. I'm not saying it's not possible, but do I need to bend my knee 
to bent close my consciousness and submit to a reality where people get to do that, I don't. I get to put it in the realm that it's in, fiction or fairy tale or myth or whatever. That's the most logical realm it belongs in. Can I gain meaning from it? What does it possibly mean for Elijah to fly away in a chariot? What does it possibly mean for Moses to stand and part the seas? What could those seas have represented? What could the children of Israel have represented? What could mm-hmm. Egypt have? I think the whole story could be allegorical and beautiful to no end. But when you preach it to me as literal, and when you preach it to me that I need to bend the knee and turn off my consciousness and reasoning to say that it was emphatically true, do I really believe that a man survived in the belly of a fish for three days? <laughs> I say, no, I don't think I need to believe that. I understand the story. Do I really think Samson took a jawbone and killed, what is it, 3,000 Philistines? I don't even remember. Do I think one man really did that? No, but I can understand the story, and I can understand what points were trying to be made. So for me, the moment the Bible became unliteral and metaphorical is the moment the Bible actually becomes kind of fun, and it becomes meaningful, and it becomes intriguing, Mm. and it can become... What do you call it? I can actually draw things from the stories. Like I heard someone talk about David's five stones represent the five senses. That's cool. What could that mean? Well, Philistine, Philistia had five provinces around Israel. So they represent, Israel represents your consciousness. And the five senses of Philistia represent your five senses. And how your life is being sometimes overpowered by what you hear, what you see, what you feel, whatever. And David represented this little boy who had faith and fought against the giant of his five senses to Mm. overthrow, you know. I heard this whole talk on like the, the, the symbolism of the David and Goliath story. And when I read it that way, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I can draw a lot from that. Um, but my trouble, come, my red flags go up. The moment goes, oh, no, 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 It was actually a literal story. And then I go, who wrote for Samuel? Well, I have no idea, but I know it was real. It's like, <laughs> come on. So that is, again, <laughs> there's the Jeez. microphone. Right. That is where my, my journey has been in, like, realizing the Bible does not need to be a literal book. I don't attest to it as a literal book. And if it is not a literal book, therefore, I don't need to subscribe to it with these feelings of being a serf and with the God of that Bible going, Hey, here you are. You're created. The moment you can construct of any idea, I'm going to come to you when you're 12 or 13 and go, now's the moment of choice child. And you either get to burn in hell forever or sing me songs on golden streets where I'll wipe every tear from your eye. Which would you like to choose? (laughs) And I have problems with, (laughs) If, uh, I, if I, I have problems... The way of the master. The way of the master. Ugh. I have problems with Christians who go, hey, no, 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 This is what I've noticed lately. Uh, I love it when I talk to family members and I talk to people. Um, this is what... This is their defense to that. They go, oh, no, no, no. God doesn't... No, no, no. God loves you so much. He came to save you from hell. He's not going to throw you in hell. He's going to let you, by your own choice, go there. To which I stop and go, no, that would be like me planting glass shards in my front yard and blindfolding my children at the doorstep, standing across the front yard and going, all right, children, I want to teach you how to respect me. You're going to listen to my voice and follow me through the yard. 
and I'm going to teach you how to listen to me. If you don't listen to my voice, you're going to step on glass shards. Right. The moral of this story is listen and respect your father. Okay, ready? <laughs> and I'm going to speak in an unknown language to you. Right. I'm going to speak in a language you don't understand. I'm going to whisper. I'm going to whisper. a really loud wind between me and you. <laughs> and the, and the, the moral, ethical, and proper child is the one who raises his hand and goes, so father, why are you doing this? And I go, don't worry. Listen to my voice. I want to save you from the glass. And one of the boys goes, uh, the glass you put there aren't... <laughs> aren't... <laughs> So whenever a Christian says to me, no, 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 he came to save you from hell, I immediately go, who created hell? Right. Oh, well, he created it for the devil. Right, fine. But then who also... So the devil is equally powerful, so God is not God. Yes. He created it for the devil and his demons. Right. But then was it the devil's decision that I go there or God's decision I go there? And they're like, oh, I guess it was God. So the devil snuck in, but it's the stepdad who put the glass there. It's the stepdad. (laughs) Well, no, God doesn't want you to go there. I know, but he created the there. He created the place. And then he was the one who created the rules by which make me go there. Okay, so can you can... Can we talk about the yard itself? Right. The very fabric of... <laughs> so somebody who would come to me, I would just say CPS. Oh my gosh. CPS would come to me and go, hey, what's happening here? Um, imagine the demonstration. My kids are cutting their feet on the glass. Ah, they're screaming and CPS pulls up and goes, what's being done here, sir? And if I say, don't you worry, I'm teaching my children respect. And if CPS goes, well, at least he's intending well, let's go on to the next house. <laughs> if my permission to raise my kids that way was, well, at least he means well, his, his end idea is good. People give that license to God all the time. Well, at least he wants to bring me to heaven. Right. But you're ignoring the fact that he created hell and he's the one that created the terms by which you go there. So he's the one who's ultimately responsible to explain hell, not us. Yeah. Right? So, um, yeah, there's plenty of things like that. <laughs> plenty of things like that. That I would say to my son. I remember my son was 12, and he was going to a Christian school, and I'm so glad I pulled him out. Uh, he was maybe 10 at the time. And I was like, hey, Jack, I'm just curious, like, uh, what have you learned? What would you say is the most important thing you've learned from all your time at this school? It was his third year there. He said, um, I guess that, that Jesus died for me. I said, okay, why did he die for you? He died to pay for my sin. Oh, okay. I said, so, and he was in the front seat with me and his little brother Maverick was in the back seat and Maverick was like one and a half. I said, so Jack, I have an idea. Let's just say you cuss me out tonight. And you're like, Dad, F you. I don't like you. You're a bastard. You're a terrible dad. Let's say you sin against me for all intents and purposes. And let's say I say, you know what, Jack, that really hurts me. But you know what? I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to punish Mav. I'm going to go to him. And actually, I have an idea. I could, I could make you pay for what you've done, but I'm going to make him pay for what you've done. I'm going to kill Mav, if that sounds good. And only if you trust me that my killing Mav paid for your sin against me will I forgive your sin against me. But if you don't accept and trust what I'm going to do to Mav, then I will hold it against you. I just said, what do you think of all that? And he was like, his whole time he had a frown on his face. And he's like, that's terrible. I said, would you rather have me go to you and say, hey, Jack, that hurt my feelings. I don't like what you said to me. When you talk to me that way, this is what I feel. 
and I would like it if you do this next time. Would you rather have me just talk to you and deal with you and just forgive you? Or would you rather have me take it out on Mav? And he goes, I'd rather have you just talk to me. I said, what if I even just smacked you in the face and knocked a tooth out of your mouth? And said, there, that tooth has paid for the sin you just dealt me. What would you rather have, me knocking your tooth out or me killing Mav for you? And he goes, I'd rather have you like deal with me. And I just said, isn't it crazy then? Where does the logic come in? You're just, you rejoice over this blood sacrifice that was made for you? Explain the morality to me. God sacrifices well, himself to himself to forgive you? And it, what it creates is a, is a generation of people who love Mav. Yeah. Love and worship and are so thankful yeah. for yeah. Mav. Yeah. And then dad is demanding to be loved demanding to be honored demanding to be respected yep. believed yep. and glorified yep that's how most people view god the father absolutely and to and again for pascal i think we talked about it in the last episode for pascal's wager i totally get when people go to me so what if i could prove to you yahweh was god and these were his terms okay like what could I do about it anyway? He's an, he, then he's an authoritarian. And he's right. a, he's and we're a, robots or He's slaves. a dictator, and I have no choice in the matter anyway. When, right. jo, when um, Jonah says... Hence Calvinism. Hence, yeah. Jonah says, uh, God says, hey, go to the Ninevites and say X, Y, Z to them. And he goes, no, I don't want to go to the Ninevites. Well, what happened? Mm-hmm. Jonah goes, no, I'm going south. God goes, go north. He goes, no, I'm going south. God swallows him and spits him out on the North Beach with a fish, right? So, like, uh, to some degree, all of these people of faith... You see it. Saul gets knocked off his horse and gets blinded and then is told by a loud voice, go to this house, your eyes will be opened. So, okay, if something like that on any degree happened to me, if I was like, Austin, a bear ate me, dude. (laughs) No, don't laugh. A bear ate me. It was painful. It was excruciating. But then he, whatever, he pooped me out and I grew out of his deposit. Scat. (laughs) Yeah, out of his scat into a human. You don't believe me, Austin? Like, I can't, you wouldn't. But if, if I was like, yeah, I flew up. Oh the level, if somebody comes up to you on the subway and said anything like that, your first response is you scooch away. Yeah, you're you like, scooch uh, away from that dude. And Or if you're at IHOP. Check, please. And a guy is ordered his pancakes and you see him praying over his pancakes and you looked at him. And you're like, sir, what are you praying? He said, oh, when I eat my pancakes, I become the body of David Hasselhoff. <laughs> and the more pancakes I eat, I become him. And uh, who are you to take this belief from me? It gives me meaning. I will become David Hasselhoff, and I will marry Pamela Anderson. And I don't want to live in a universe where I don't marry Pamela Anderson. You would slide away from yeah, that person. Would. Yeah, for so sure. there's a quote that says religious people are given permission to do by the millions what lunatics can only do by themselves. Right. It's just crazy. And so when I realized the insanity of some of my own beliefs, I used to baptize friends in my hot tub. Okay. I took people down to a frozen lake. I myself broke ice in a frozen lake and baptized myself for like the eighth time in my life because i never believed up until that time i had the real baptism and i had a friend take me there and dip me under the ice under the boat ramp and i was baptized in january in the winter because i wanted it that bad and then i had a small group and convinced others to go down to a lake and break ice and do it too because what i noticed was 
what I think I, I feel bad about now. I notice a genuine desire to really know what is real for everybody. They really want to touch what is beyond themselves. They want to touch the thing that gives them emotions. They want to touch the thing that they believe maybe my consciousness comes from God. So if I could connect to the thing that brought me here, that would bring me some sense of peace because if they already had it, if we already had all truth, nobody would go into the ice. Right. So it shows you we're all seeking. So if we really all had faith already, I wouldn't be chasing answers anymore. My heart would be at peace. My mind would be at peace. I would understand who I am. I would understand where I'm going. And this pursuit of knowledge, in a sense, would be like appeased. I would finally be okay. But I found for me, my life was not that the um, like the boy that God called out his name and he woke up at night. Um, my life was not at any point that the supernatural tapped on my shoulder and then I woke up and said, yes, who is that? And a voice spoke to me. It is me. Where are you? I don't know. I can't explain it to you. But like, I didn't hear a voice. I didn't feel a feeling. I didn't have the supernatural breakthrough into my world and tap me and call me forward. I had people come to me and say to me, the Holy Spirit is tapping on your shoulder. Whether you can feel it or not is happening. You need to just trust that this is I happening. I feel like his name is mom right now. <laughs> yeah, mom, dad, pastors, teachers, right. a whole world of people. The Holy Spirit's tapping on your shoulder. You just need to trust it. And once you have faith and once you believe and the more you repent, the more you get rid of sin, the Holy Spirit will convict it. And one of these days you'll find out. So I realized my faith was never really a faith that came from something deeply real it mm -hmm. came from accepting it before i understood it or knew it and then moving forward seeking it to be true wanting it to be true so i see most believers they are genuine they really want to see god they really want to feel god they really want to know where we came from to know where we're going and they they fill their world with assumptions to constantly validate that was proof of God. That was proof of God. I couldn't find my car keys, so I said a quick prayer, and then the thought went to my mind to look under the pillow. So I went and found them. God, help me find my car keys. God is real. And so we've come up with all of these really, really interesting details to convince ourselves, I believe, of a story that we deeply in our bones aren't convinced of, but we want to be convinced of it. That's what I realize in myself. I can't say that that is everybody. Right. But I can say that most honest conversations I've had with people, most people do come to that point where they confess that is a bit of their religion. So would it's, you yeah. would you say that that you know the the guy who broke the ice to be baptized for yeah. the eighth time? Yeah, me. <laughs> would you would you say that that he truly believed in that moment? Or that you were believing, you were trying to believe? So that's a good question because I realized that I believed a lot of things, but I didn't know what the difference between belief and hope was or mm. belief and fantasy was. So like the other day I was in the backyard with my son Griffin. We were sitting on our swing. I was like, hey, Griffin, have you ever looked at the clouds and like played a game to see what the clouds could be doing? And he was like, no. I was like, well, here's an example. I was like, see that cloud right there? And I was like looking at it. I was trying to think of what it could be. I was like, hey, doesn't that look like a dog upside down? And he was like, what do you mean? And I showed it. I was like, right there, there's the tail, there's the paws. Do you see how that could kind of be a dog upside down? And he got it. He was like, oh, he's like, I do see it. Oh my gosh. And then all of a sudden he started going with it. Right. 
The error I see faith make is I've heard way too many times people go, I lay in the backyard and I look at the clouds and I see a palm tree and I go, oh, look how much God loves me. God knows I love the equator and I love the tropics. And he painted a, pine, a palm tree just for me, just to remind me how special I am to him today. Right. So people come up with these stories they tell themselves about reality that you, when you check it, you go, wait a minute, are you certain God did that? Or are you just, you would like to believe God did that? And I'm finding if someone is an honest person, they will go, no, no, I just, I, I think they're, they're giving their imagination too much license. And that's what I saw in myself too many times. I would, I'd go to work and I'd tell someone, oh, I was on the way to work today and it was 7, 17 a.m., and I weigh 217 pounds. And then I was I turned it to channel 104.7. And I saw these congruencies. And that makes me believe. And then I would create some sort of, that just tells me God is with me. And I have an intuition you don't have. I clearly see things in reality you don't. It made me walk with like a an arrogance, a confidence that was untethered to an honest definition. I was making things up. Rather than sitting with my kid going, I see a dog. Do you see a palm tree? Do you see a ball? Isn't this a fun game? Right. Isn't it cool what your imagination can do? Isn't it cool? Like, I, th- I see Christians sometimes go, hey, who are you to, like, take some- someone's faith away? What if they really do believe God is painting those clouds for them? Again, I would say, like, that sounds childish to me. Like, and it doesn't sound honest. Like, for me, let's start with what we know emphatically. I have an imagination. I have experiences. We have these clouds, and we know they're being blown around by wind. For me to make the assertion that God painted that that pine tree for me or whatever, mm-hmm. that's quite a bold assertion. Because I do know that 3.1 million ch- children under the age of six die of malnutrition each year. Which means, do the math, it breaks down to six a second. So while I have the time to put my hands behind my bed, my head, And go, oh, man, aren't I so cool? I'm the apple of his eye. And my time to even think that 18 children just died of starvation. So any honest person who believes the creator interacts with me that way, what morality in me would not stop and go, all right, God, I'm sick of you painting palm trees for me. Go save some kids. Like, I don't need palm tree affirmation. So that's Parking lot is great, but world peace would be better. Thank you for the front row parking spot. I'm, (laughs) I'm blessed and highly favored. So again, going... In a world where you're constantly getting favoritism and treatment, why does your theology need to create a world for you where you're so special? God has time to paint with you, but he doesn't have time to save that family from the car wreck that just happened. Right. And to just dumb it all up to, well, they must have been in sin, or if they would have been walking in the spirit, they wouldn't have died that morning. Christians can dumb up reality to such a simple and ignorant explanation so much. So yeah, those are a lot of types of thinking that I realized I was, for so many years, highly wish-driven, wish-fulfillment. Okay. And it made me just stop and wonder, where is this all coming from? And is it really coming from reality? And if I'm going to keep sharing my faith and keep talking to people about God, am I really being honest? Am I certain God painted that for me, or would I just like to think? It makes me feel special to think that maybe God painted that for me. It just made me start wanting to talk more honestly right. instead of making proclamations and thus saith the Lord, like, I'd like to believe, you know, my child is sick. I'd like to pray that God is thinking of us and he would help him. And, this, you know, this community is filled with people who, you know, I would say 
for my my uh, for my experience with them. Right. Is people who are trying to be honest. Right. There is a question that I would ask. It's rhetorical. We're running yeah. out of time, so it's not necessarily. We should just forget time. Right. <laughs> Big deal. Big deal. Let's just but, go with it. Uh, you know. Okay. So. Yeah. If it's not a sovereign God control mechanism. Yep. The question. It's kind of a two-part question. Is there something? Something. Yeah. And then what is? How does that something work? Okay. And so. Yep. And, and I think this community is filled with people who are there, right? Okay. It's, is there something? Right. And what is that something? Because it's not right. the religious control freak in the sky right. judging right. thing. Right. And that's where I'm, I'm getting ready to do a series on the universal laws. Okay. Um, I've done a whole series on the law of attraction, law, yeah. you know, reciprocity, vibration, something like that. And I would say for my own part, it has been a journey in like, okay, I get that religion and, yeah, you know, Bible and all of that is not answering those questions. It right. is, but at the same time, the questions haven't disappeared. So yeah. that's one question. My other thing, my other question for you and yeah, and I don't know if either of these you'll have full time to respond in in detail. But yeah, the other one would be you know the guy who was so convinced to be baptized in ice is now thirty six. Thirty six. Yep. Sitting here, so convinced. Yeah. yeah. What happens when you're fifty six? Yep. Right. So actually, I would say the I'll start backwards. When I say that now, here I am, thirty six, so convinced. I'm actually saying I'm not convinced. Okay. So it's the opposite. I'm not saying that I'm taking the stance where I want every listener to hear that I am wanting to disprove, and I'm not making the claim that there is no God. Right. That there is no spirit realm. What I am saying is, when somebody has said to me, and the Bible has said to me, in different preachers and all these people who go oh no there definitely is an afterlife great can you help me understand that or show it to me i have found nobody who's able to actually show it with any kind of what is repeatable demonstrable visible testable there's no way it always changes and it's different my mom once told me that oh this pastor he raised his kid from the dead you know and I said, cool. So either A, that was an anomaly or he's immoral. And she said, why is he immoral? I said, because if you could raise your kid from the dead, you would be immoral to not go to every hospital within driving distance immediately and start raising people from the dead and healing them. Right. If he can't do that, it means it's not repeatable. Therefore, it's not a formula. Therefore, it's not a formula. That where he, he has no moral right teaching it. Start writing a book and here's the instructions. And yes, yeah. it is immoral to teach people. Look at the faith I had. If you just had faith like this, if you just believed like this, maybe I can't disprove that it happened. But I can disprove that he's been able to duplicate it. He's been able to test it. He's been able to observe it. And he can actually tell you the formula for healing. Even Jesus. Even Jesus. It's so like, going, the better thing would go, are you saying miracles don't happen? No, no, no. I'm saying you cannot repeat it. So it is immoral to constantly teach people how to do it. That's a money gimmick, in my opinion. Right. That's, just a, that's just a moment to now build people's belief in you. I once healed somebody. Great. What does that do for me? Can I do it too? I don't know. I don't know how to help you there. I don't even so, know if I'll be able to do it again. I don't know if I can do it again. And if he can't, then he shouldn't be giving himself the right to talk about it. You sh what he should be saying is, you know, this one time this thing happened. And the truth is, I don't know how it happened. I thought my son was dead. I was ready for this. And to honestly say, I think a miracle occurred, 
but I'm not sure if a miracle occurred or not. Maybe he was dead and for an hour his heartbeat was gone and all of a sudden he came back. And maybe I was deceived and maybe he wasn't dead. But instead of saying, being comfortable saying, I don't know. See, enough believers don't say that. Am I open to our world having anomalies, things happening we can't explain? Yes, and I think it should be left in the realm of I have no explanation for it. Which kind of goes into my my first question of right. it too. Yeah. Is my my quest mm-hmm. is to find answers that actually do explain that. Right. Including right. the variance and the lack of... Re- right. Like, if anything is true, there's a way in which it is true. Yep. So, absolutely. I've, right. I've seen miracles. Right. I've also performed miracles that I've not been able to duplicate. Right. Tried to duplicate. Sure. Right? Right. Christopher Teasdale was on this podcast. Yeah. He's dead. Yeah. I was there. I tried. Yeah. Didn't work. Yeah. Right? So it is a very real reality to say I've I've done and said things and been able to experience things that I've not been able to duplicate. Right. But at the same time, it doesn't negate the first time. Right. Right? Right. Um. And so, how do mm-hmm. how do, what explanation do you bring forward right. to say this time I did snap my fingers and somebody came back to life to my to the best of my understanding, right. and this time I didn't. Right. What is the way in which the universe works that mm-hmm. answers both of them? Right. And so those kinds of things throughout all of time. So if since Jesus came and said, "Hey, anyone who believes in me, the things I've done, greater things shall he do." Right. Well, either he was a liar. Or people just suck and they cannot figure it out. <laughs> or it wasn't entirely true. So either we're chasing after something that... Or we've defined the definition of the word greater wrong. Sure, we're greater. But even just going, let's just say 1% of believers of all time could walk through walls, walk on water, heal the sick, raise the dead. Do you know what our world would look like? Yeah, 1%. You'd, you'd have, it'd be Marvel. Oh, it'd be crazy. We would have a Marvel world. Um, yes. But so going, okay, so either God created a world that said, hey, the greatest in the kingdom to come is the great, greater than uh, John the Baptist. So we are living in a kingdom where the people that have faith are greater than John the Baptist, yet we have such weird and mysterious and ambiguous story. It's, all, it's never a firsthand occurrence with most believers. Oh, I met a guy once who said this occurred, and he met a guy at a meeting once who held this. It's never in a Walmart. It's never at a restaurant. It's always in a church service. So there's all these telltale signs that our world, if the New Testament was emphatically true, would look very different than it does. Or you have to make a very good case for humans are just terrible at following Jesus, terrible at learning how to like read the Bible and interpret it for themselves. Or do we have 2,000 years of people who have really tried? Do we have 2,000 years of people who have given their life to something to go at what point? Let's say it was a relationship and your wife just keeps saying, oh, no, no, honey, tomorrow night I'll have sex with you. Tomorrow (laughs) night. And after seven years, I'm like, hey, Austin, have you had sex with your wife yet? And you're like, no, 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 she tells me tomorrow. (laughs) And if if every night there would come a point where anyone with a logical sense would go, dude, I think she's playing you. Or I don't think she's really your wife or that she intends to be your wife. I think you need to go find a wife or whatever you need to. So Christians though, it's like they won't, Oh no, don't worry. Your breakthrough's coming. Your time is coming. Just keep pressing in. And the rapture's coming. Spirituality. Yeah. It wasn't good enough the first time. Yeah. Spirituality for many people is a thing that you put in how much time, how much effort, 
how many emotions, how many, how many altar calls have you gone and just bared your soul to, honestly, mm-hmm. for most people? And what have you gotten back that has been clear, has been understood, has been whatever, that hasn't still left you in a bit of a... That's my problem with a lot of spirituality is going, where can we return to and go, I wasn't knocked off a horse and blinded. And until that day, I don't need to pretend that it's real for him or for me. So if God is who God says he is, if the Holy Spirit is who the Holy Spirit says he is, it is. And if I have the mind of Christ and all that, and if I've gone through baptisms and I've dedicated myself, then I can sit back and go, the terms of this judge and the terms of this creator are completely on him to communicate to me what he wants to communicate. So I don't need to live my life based on what Elijah says or what Matthew said. I'm going to live my life based on what I know, what I feel, what I see. And I trust that if God wants to come through and tap my shoulder, I will let him. Right? right? At any time. So like, I don't know, I told this actually to my mom. I said, um, mom, if, if your gospel is entirely true, then just pray for me. <laughs> just pray for me. Just trust the Holy Spirit. If you believe it's the spirit of kindness, you know, that leads you to repentance. Just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to my heart and lead me. And then just love me. Just let me be. Right. And love me and just trust that it'll happen when it happens. So like until that day, though, there's no reason for me to not live my life as though certain things are true that I have not witnessed to be true and I don't know to be true. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's more of returning to even talking about the afterlife. Why would I spend more thought on the afterlife than I do the life I have? For one, I am certain that I have this life to live. I'm not certain I have an afterlife. You, we can talk about theories. I love talking about reincarnation, talking about all sorts of stuff. Right. But for me to say that I guarantee you all those things are potentially true, I don't know that they're true. They're theories. But I do know that I'm alive now. So the one thing that ought to bear upon my consciousness is my life, not my afterlife. Mm. So where was my spirituality always causing me to be afterlife-minded? Forgetting the world I lived in, not caring about my career, not caring about saving money, not caring about raising children. It was always God's going to come back at any time. So I just need to keep thinking about the afterlife. So my religion was pulling me away from my reality, disconnecting me from being human. And I just find so much of my journey has been undoing religious superstition, whether it was true for Elijah or Jeremiah or Daniel or David or not. And centering myself on what is true for me. Maybe when I'm 58, maybe when I'm 41, I will have a life-altering metaphysical encounter that I can't deny, that I will go tell people with urgency, this happened to me. But until that happens, I'm not going to live as though it will happen. I'm going to be human. I'm going to love my kids. I'm going to plan for the future. I'm going to actually have life insurance because I could die tomorrow. I'm not going to pretend I won't. I might die tomorrow, so I want my kids to be okay. I'm going to talk to my kids about their careers and about surviving here and now. I'm going to be centered. And so for me, it's been a journey of literally like becoming human Mm. in a world that almost never allowed me to be human. You're from another world. Consider yourself an alien here. Your body is just a tent. It's like my whole worldview from the time I was a kid was don't worry about all this. It's all going to be done away with eventually. So it was always like my feet were like preparing to float above the ground ever since I was little, if that makes sense. 
mm-hmm. and never be grounded to reality, to never ask good questions, to not connect with reason, to not, uh, to not plan ahead. I actually was afraid of planning ahead. Whenever I heard people talk about making five-year plans, that scared me. I always thought it was unfaithful because I needed to be willing to, if the spirit said go left, go left. Spirit says go right, go right. Mm. So to get a college degree, that's you putting your life in your hands, not God's. I always <laughs> made these really weird, these really weird methodologies that almost never set me free to just be me. It's interesting. Kat, I just finished an episode on taking action and how to how to how to mix your plans, your life with with also following intuition, and the idea of like the voice from behind that yeah. says no not this way yeah right or this is the way walk in it yeah but the emphasis is the voice from behind yeah meaning make your plan yeah and then always be willing to follow that voice i just there are so many things i'm, I'm realizing now like one becoming human i think is probably the title mm. of this of this two-part series i'm writing a book called becoming boy nice yeah yeah ronharima.com <laughs> Um, you between music and authoring and, uh, obviously philosophically, we, uh, did a thing a few years ago called Stardust. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's up on the website already, yeah. org. Um, and then I did God 2.0. Yeah. Um, I, I will say like, I'm going to go back and listen to these two episodes. Mm. I'm going to be taking notes because I know I'm going to quote unquote need to slash want to kind of there's so many questions so many things we've just crashed through yeah Yeah. and to say okay so ronnie and i talked about this and then to elaborate um it's one of those things that's that that do you think do you think we could do one more because we got to leave at 2 30 what time and we're golfing today because i'm wondering if we start hitting record now we could be done at 2 15 is there any like, is there any questions or any kind of like things you want to actually talk right. about? Maybe that we could do a wrap up. All right, we'll stop because we'll it do could a, even be thirty five minutes. And we yeah, we'll do a shorter episode. Yeah. So thanks I for know, listening. Like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> you guys have been so patient. Austin has been very patient. Um, I know that you've given me way more platform than I just I, I deserve. Um, and uh, so much of this I understand. Maybe I could even answer. I would like to answer some personal things present because a lot of this is deconstructing the ways I used to think Mm -hmm. and then realizing where I've come to now believe. But like, what is this actually doing for me now? Right. How do I conduct myself? What's it like to raise children with a more atheistic, practical, humanist view? Right. How do I cope with some of this? Um, But some of me, like there is, because I would like to share, there's definitely some good and bad. I'd gladly share. There's some negative. There's some stuff I don't like. Right. There's some there's some questions I still do have, but then there's also here's the benefits um, of what I've seen I've I've come to feel lately. So I, I wouldn't mind doing it again. Do you want to just do one more? Yeah, let's crank through it. I mean, we don't want to be late for golf. No, so no, no. We'll just have to make Definitely sure the next not. one's a little bit shorter. But yeah, thanks for listening. Check in next week for episode number three <laughs> with Ronnie Herman. That's awesome. Love you guys. Love you guys. Thank yeah. you.